you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm chapter one. We'll be there in just a minute. Hopefully you'll get your place, you'll stay there and we'll get, get ready. I wanna let you know that probably most of us in this room probably love the option on our TV called the DVR, correct? We love, yeah, amen, amen. Um, that's good preaching, right? Okay, amen. We, we love the DVR because we can watch that show that we want to watch and we can watch it when we wanna watch it and we can eliminate the commercials and sort of maximize time. We love the DVR. A friend of mine told me this great illustration I wanna share with you this morning. Just picture yourself for just a minute. Picture yourself not being able to watch your favorite sports teams play against each other and you do not know the outcome of the game. Let's just picture, for instance, I'm preaching so I get to tell the story. Let's just picture it's North Carolina versus state. And you don't know what the outcome of the game is. You don't know the score. You don't want anybody to tell you the score. You're putting down your phone. You're not listening to anybody. You got the radio off. You're, you're out. You're coming home and you want to see the game. You get home and you're so tired and you just said, you know what? I I'm going to go to sleep and wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to watch the game, but I'm not going to listen. I'm going to take myself away from social media. So I don't know who won the game. You don't want any, you don't want to know the outcome. You wake up the next morning and by accident, somebody ruined it for you on Facebook. Okay. They told you, that Carolina wins by three points. And all, the, and all of God's people said, amen. And, 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 and so here it is, here it is. You sit down instead of you just say, I, I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna watch the game anyway. I, I know the outcome, but I'm gonna watch the game anyway. So I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna watch the game. Now let's just picture for a moment. If you were to watch the game, not knowing the outcome, you might get very mad at the referee. Don't look at me so spiritual. You've yelled at a referee before. And, but if you didn't know the outcome, you didn't know what was going to happen, you're tense, you're overwhelmed. Man, you are anxious. You're walking around the house. You're pacing back and forth. Okay, maybe that's just me. But, but, but when you do know the outcome, you can look at the game and you can sit there and say, wow, Carolina's down by 10, three minutes to go. But I'm relaxed because we win. We win the game. This past year, we went to the Duke, excuse me, the Carolina NC State football game. I'm just gonna say one thing, Geo. That's all I gotta say. So Geo, my kids in the backyard, they go out and they play NC State versus Carolina and they play the Geo play when Geo ran it down to the house for the victory and we won the game with 17 seconds left. Now let's just say, let's just say for instance, you're sitting in front of that game, you're fast forwarding through the commercials, you know the outcome, what happens when you're watching that game knowing the outcome transforms your life, so to speak, work with me, to allow you to be so not so stressed, not so overwhelmed. And, and see, sometimes in our lives spiritually, many times in our lives spiritually, we see things that come our way like maybe a lost job, maybe a bill that we don't think we could pay, or maybe a child that is wandering off, or maybe a, a car that decided to act up this week, or whatever case may be, or a relationship issue that might be a problem. And what happens is, is if our focus is not on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we forget that in the end, King Jesus wins and those who walk with him win as well. And so what happens many times is many times we're living out this Christian life, 
but we're living it out as if the outcome is undetermined. When in, in actuality, it is determined. And Jesus wins, and those who walk with him celebrate in that great victory. And, and I think what happens at times, we get so overwhelmed with life that maybe we forget. Last week we talked about maybe we drift, and we forget, and we need to come and remember. I think that the word of God has been given to us so that, in essence, that we would remember at the end of the day, King Jesus is victorious, Satan is put in his place, sin is defeated, and all those who walk with him get to celebrate in one of the greatest victories in all of the earth, in all of the world. And specifically speaking, this summer, we feel like that if we sit over the next nine weeks, if we sit in this summer through the book of Psalms, then we're going to be able to really understand and remember that even though we go through tough situations, even though we go through situations that give us, get us overwhelmed and even confused and maybe even angry, but at the end of the day, I hope that the psalm will help us, these psalms will help us remember that in the end, there's a great victory that we can participate in right now and forever. So if you have your Bibles, take a look at Psalm chapter one so we can be reminded of that victory. The book of Psalm is broken down into 150 chapters. Martin Luther, John Calvin, Charles Spurgeon all said together that they would love that if they were stranded on an island all by themselves and had one book of the Bible, they would have the book of Psalms so that they could remember and they could be refreshed on who God is and who we are and that they could enter into a time of worship. This summer, here's, here's, my, here's my desire. My desire this summer is a threefold desire. Our desire for this summer is a threefold desire. We're gonna be preaching for starting today all the way through June and July. There will be nine weeks, and so we'll cover nine Psalms. We'll have various speakers throughout the month of July. And, and so our goal is to anchor into the wisdom that is, that is all over the book of Psalms, that we can be encouraged, we can be lifted up, and I really have a three-pronged purpose for this study for the summer, and here it is. First of all, I pray that through this study that we would have a deeper love for God, that you and I working through the book of Psalms, whoever's going to be preaching this summer, that we would be able to stand and listen to what God would have to say through the book of Psalms, and that as a result of that, that we would have a great love for him, more and better than we've ever known before in our lives. The Ten Commandments are very clear that it's all about a relationship with God first and then we can function with each other on a horizontal plane in this way. Lying, stealing, adultery, and all of those do not make sense if our relationship with King Jesus is not where it can be and not where it should be. Our stress level and anxiety is, is going to be off the chart if we don't remember that God wins, that we can be a part of it and we can celebrate in it right here and right now. And so my goal and my prayer and my hope is that we would be able to encounter a great love for God. I also pray that we would, you would be encouraged. I, I think that maybe there's some people in the world that have the spiritual gift of discouragement. Amen? And sometimes, sometimes those people profess the name of Jesus and, and they have the spiritual gift of discouragement. And so what, what I hope through the book of Psalms is that you would be greatly encouraged in your walk with him, in your love for him. And as a result, here it is, as a result, 
that you would do exactly what I believe the book of Psalms is all about, and that is living for the praise of his name. And so therefore, you would have an absolute passion for the worship of God himself. And and let's make sure that we understand, and you know this and I know this, that God is worthy of our worship, but worship is not simply just confined to the music that we, we sing on Sunday, that worship is so much bigger and better than that, and God is so much bigger and better than that as well. And so my hope, my hope is that at the end of the day, at the end of the summer, when we're all sitting down and we're all, the summer is over, we move into our fall series to the book of Galatians, that we would sit here and we would say, wow, we spent the summer in Psalms. And as a result of that, man, I, I, I have a great love for God that I've never encountered before. I, I've been encouraged by God's word and by God's people through going through the book together. And in addition to that, my worship of Jesus is sweeter and better than it's ever been in my entire life. And that's really, really our prayer. And so as we take a look, let's go to Psalm chapter one and take a look at what's going on. In Psalm chapter one, we have a picture of two people with two different outcomes. The Psalm actually asks three different questions, three questions. And we're gonna really unpack those questions. It's really a very simple Psalm to read and to go through and to break down with great, great significance and great truth as we kick it off. I think that this would be, I thought this is a great introduction to the book of Psalms. If you were to take a look at all of the books, the book of Psalm is broken down into five books. Actually, Psalm 1 is not included in one of those books because it's called the introduction. It paves the way. It sets the tone for what we will be hearing for the rest of the summer and for your rest of your reading through the year. I, I would also encourage you this summer, if you're looking for some summer reading beside the book of Psalms, I've got two books. I'm just going to show them to you so you, you can see what they are. This is a book that I think every man in the world should read called Disciplines of a Godly Man. If you're looking for summer reading, for reading on the beach or wherever you're going to be, this book right here is transformational to your life as a man of God. Also, this book was big for me. It's called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. And it's by Tullian Chavidian. He's, uh, he's the grandson of Billy Graham. And that book right there really spoke to me. So as you grab your summer reading, as well as the book of Psalms, Psalms then go ahead and take a look at some of those recommendations. Let's take a look and let's read Psalm chapter one together. We've already read it once. Let's read it again. Here it is in verse one of chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Question number one, how is the man of God blessed? When he uses the word man of God, he's using it to represent all of those who follow God, who have a relationship with God that's made possible, that you and I know that's made possible through Jesus Christ. So he asks this question, how is the man of God blessed? The word blessed, we need to do some unpacking there. That word means happiness, a continual happiness. Here's what it does not mean. That word does not mean that we are blessed because of the possessions that we have or the stuff that we can buy. 
Many times what happens is we look at our lives and we see, well, God blessed me, and we attribute that to the things that we were able just to get. Now, the Bible's very clear that every good and perfect gift comes from God. And there is an element, there is an element that everything we have is from God. And that's not a fault, but, but what this psalmist is saying right here, what this psalm is talking about, that the blessed man is not seen in what he has, it is seen in who, he, who possesses him. Not his possessions, but the presence of Almighty God. The blessed man is the one that is overcome by the presence of God in his life, not the presence with the T that God gives him. Simply keep going. Blessed is the man. This is a quote for you from James Montgomery Boyce. He says this, when most people think of the results of upright and godly living, they think of rewards. That is, they think that if they do what God tells them to do, he will reward them. And if they do not, they will be punished. There is an element of truth in this. It is what is involved in the doctrine of the final judgment. But what the psalmist actually says here is quite different. He is talking about blessedness, the blessedness of man that does not stand in the way of sinners, but whose delight is in the law. His point is not a reward, but rather a result of a particular type of life. One that is overwhelmed by the presence of God and the way that he walks. Keep going. So what does the blessed man, the blessed man not to do? What does he not do? First of all, it says in there, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Now I have to say something. I'm from New England. That's Connecticut. Okay. I just want to make sure we unpack that. The New England states, I, I grew up in, in Connecticut. And let me just tell you this right now. Wicked was an adjective. And I said it my entire life. Oh, that's wicked cool, man. That's wicked awesome. Okay, it was a part of my regular vocabulary. And when I moved down south in 1990, it was replaced by y'all in Diet Coke. And so you see what happens when I see that word wicked, I'm like, I automatically think of Connecticut and I had that word to describe things. What he's talking about here, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, the word wicked means loose morals. He is loose morally. He has no anchor in his purity. He has no anchor in his morality. And so he's saying the blessed man is known not for what he has, but for the way he walks. Where does he not walk? He doesn't walk with people that have the loose morality. He himself does not have loose morality. He has the opposite of that, and that is a standard of purity. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Nor stands in the way of sinners. Basically what happens is the word sinner is an archery term. It means missing the mark. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed that mark. That's why King Jesus came to redeem us so that we could be the righteousness of God because of what he did, not what we do. And so here we see here, and it says, do not stand in the way of sinners. What does that mean? There are people who on a regular basis are purposefully missing the mark of God, missing the standard of God, walking away from the standard of God, not walking in the way that God would have him to walk. What does the blessed man do? He doesn't walk in the way of the wicked and he does not stand right there in the way of sinners. If you can see the progression, he's walking and then he's stopping and he's participating in those who purposefully miss the mark that God has laid out for us. Next thing he says, nor sits in the seat of scoffers 
or mockers. Scoffers means to mock or to ridicule. That means to purposefully suppress the ways and the things of God, to ridicule them, to mock them. If you think about Jesus being crucified, the Bible says over and over again that they mocked him, they ridiculed him, they made fun of him, they made fun of him. And then here we come to this great word right here, and it's a song, and we're gonna sing it together. And it says, but, but that's a conjunction, and we have our song, conjunction, junction, what's your, say it with me. Oh my gosh, you are good. And so we have this great word here that sort of stops and it says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what the blessed man does. The blessed man is not one that is known for his possessions. The blessed man is known for the great presence of God in his life and the great presence of God in his life is dictated by verse two. Here it is. Verse two says this, but his delight, his hunger, he has an insatiable appetite. That means he desires, he wants. His ins- he has an insatiable appetite for what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, which is another way of saying the word of God. He has an insatiable appetite for the word of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The word meditate actually has the meaning of marinate. It's like a steak. Listen, you cannot sit around Brian Eisner for very long and not be introduced to a place called the meat house. I never knew that place existed and my spiritual life is ever grateful to be introduced to this place called the meat house on High House Road in Cary or Killer Farm, wherever that is. But Brian took me to that place and he said, Matt, this is the best kind because it's marinated. It's soaking up. It's just been there early in the day and it's waiting for us to buy. I'm like, that is what I want. We got some of that stuff, went to his house and we grilled it and I salute that steak. Because why? It was soaking up and it was rich and it was good and the flavor was awesome. And here's what the word of God is teaching us to do. He said here, here is what the man of God does. Blessed is the man who his delight, his hunger is for the word of God and he sits by it and it marinates and it just seeps through his bones. Jeremiah said, I feasted on the word of God. And if we're going to sit here this summer and we're going to live as if we know the outcome, then it comes through resting and marinating in the beautiful, infallible, inerrant word of God. That's where it comes. Because if we're not doing that, then what happens? We have a tendency to maybe to walk, then we have a maybe tendency to stop, and then we have a maybe a tendency to sit among people that are not walking and living for God. And so that what happens is we're not able to live a life that is blessable by God. And remember, I'm not talking about stuff. I'm talking about his overwhelming presence in our life. I was living in Apex, North Carolina several years ago and I was walking with my children and I saw this reservoir. And here's the beautiful thing about a reservoir. A reservoir has an overflow. A reservoir has an overflow. And if the reservoir gets too high or the water gets too high, then the water comes out. And listen, your life and my life is like a reservoir of God's greatness and God's goodness. And what we're here to do is we're here to delight ourselves by sitting in the instruction of his word, to meditate it individually and corporately day in and day out. And what happens is he fills us up. And then what happens is we get to say, my cup overflows. And when that cup overflows, you know who that's for? That's for the people in your sphere of influence. 
That's for the people that you walk among. That's for the people that you see at the bank, at the grocery store, at the homeschool thing, at, at, at your work, wherever it is that you go. God fills us up with his presence so where we can say, I'm blessed, I'm blessed. Not because of the granite countertops or the boat or the car or whatever we get to do or the vacation that we get to go on. Those things are not bad. But what he is resting in is he's resting in the true meaning of blessedness, which is the overwhelming presence of God. And that is dictated on where we walk and how we walk. Go to verse number two in the question that he asks. Excuse me, verse number three. And the question that he asks very clearly in this question is, what does the blessed man look like? What does the blessed man look like? Well, he gives us a great picture. He says he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water. So when we take a look at a tree, we take a look at a tree and all trees do two things. They grow up and they grow down. They grow up and they grow down. And he's saying this, that your life as a blessed man, as one who is sitting in the instruction of the Lord, then this is what's taking place in your life. You're like a tree and it's planted by the water. But this is the beauty of this tree. The word planted is actually the word transplanted. Let me say it again. The word planted is the actual word transplanted. So what he's saying is, is you were planted here. And so Jesus comes and he scoops us up and he comes over here. He says, I'm going to plant you right here. And I'm going to plant you where people can invest in your life where you can be overwhelmed by the word of God, where you can be in a church that teaches that Jesus Christ is it and only it, that your life is all about what he has done and what we get to do. And so he's saying right here that if you're gonna be a blessed man, then you're looking like a tree. And let me tell you what that tree looks like. That tree grows consistently. That tree never stops being green. There's trees that are evergreen. You got some trees that have leaves that turn colors and they fall and then back again in the springtime, they bloom and so forth and so on. But what he's talking about here in this is that it's, he's like a tree. It's a metaphor. It's a simile. So, so he's saying, hey, I'm going to take you and I'm going to place you by this stream. And that stream is synopsis of what? The word of God. So I'm going to take you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to plant you by the word of God so that what happens is you are nourished, you are fruitful, and you will prosper. And there's that word again. There's that word where we say prosper, blessed, because our natural inclination is to run to stuff as to, as a, to rest in his presence. And the blessed man is not defined by what he has, but how he walks. And that's what he is defining him as. His leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. And the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, and the wind drives. So when we harvest grain, I just said like when we harvest grain, like I'm a farmer. Anyway, we, I, I don't, I'll tell you this. My, my cousins are farmers, so I, I think I know a little bit. So you have grain, and on grain you have the chaff, and these are the really light parts that surround the seed. And if you were to put the, the grain and harvest the grain on a sort of blanket or a towel, then they would do this and do that, and they'd come up, and when they would throw it up, the heavy seed would fall down onto the blanket where you would harvest the, the grain seed. But the chaff would get caught up in the wind and it would blow away. So he gives us a great indication. He says, hey, you, as a man of God, you're blessed because you have the presence of God living in your life. You're like a tree that's planted by the water. Man, you have nourishment for your soul. You have the presence of God all in your life. It's not saying you will never get cancer. You will never go through tragedy. 
You will never have this or that. It's, it's basically referencing that you will never, ever stop having the presence, the overwhelming presence of God radiating through our lives. Then he keeps going. He says, hey, but the wicked are not so. They're like chaff. And the wind drives it away. The next question that he asks is this, is what is the result? Okay, so, so we've asked the question, how is the man of God blessed? We've taken, we've taken a look at what does, the man, what does the blessed man look like? And then he asks the final question there is, well, what is, what is the result? Then he says this, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. And there's that word again. This past week, I was um, at the, the pool where I live in Amberley. And it was on Monday and it was Memorial Day. And man, it was just, uh, it was great. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. And uh, my son came up and he laid his goggles, his white Speedo goggles on his towel next to my wife. Okay. And so shortly after that, a man came up and said, hey, I found, to his daughter, hey, I found your goggles. Reached up, grabbed the goggles, said, I found your goggles. But it was next to my wife. And my wife was like, wow, that was odd. I am not going to rebuke him right there. I'm going to wait for my husband to come back and rebuke him. And so um, I came back. I was sitting at the pool. It was Monday, it was Memorial Day. I actually had Psalm chapter one open. I was reading, I was studying the word of God. And all of a sudden, Dana told me what happened. She said, it just surprised me. He walked up, he grabbed the goggles. He said, these are your goggles. And he gave them to his daughter and she took them and ran away with them. And I was like, those are my son's goggles. And I was like, that's wicked. And I, I looked at him. I said, excuse me, sir. Um, did you take some goggles that were on this chair? Because he said, yeah, they were my daughter's. And he stood up and he was six foot five. And I said, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> and I, I said, well, they, they were my sons. He got out of the pool. He placed them on this towel. He says, no, 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 these are my daughters. We lost them. And I just found them. I'm 100% convinced that these are her goggles. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so then I looked at my wife. She says, not worth it. Not worth it. And I sat down and I was like, mm. I'm reading the word of God. I'm sitting there. This guy is getting ready to walk off with my son's goggles. And I got nothing to say. My son says, why did you let him walk off with our goggles? And I said, son, listen, listen, listen. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Okay? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Just let him take the goggles. He walked away with the goggles. But as I'm sitting here and I'm looking at him, I'm going, that word just... Um, wicked just came to mind and just fear infuriated me. And here, here it is right here. Take a look at verse, take a look at verse um, number five and six. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in this congregation of the righteous. Here's what takes place. Those that do not have a relationship with Jesus, those who do not have a relationship with him, what happens is they're not able to stand when the end happens and God judges us for the things that we accepted and for the things that we were able to do. And so he's saying that those who walk in this direction will not be able to stand, not because of who they are, but because of the way they walked. Because of the way they walked. We're sinners by nature and by, cho by choice. The Bible says that we are condemned. 
The Bible says that maybe that word wicked for you is a little bit, bit harsh, but, but here's, here's what he comes and he says. He is not rebuking in chapter five and chapter six, he's not rebuking the person, he is rebuking the way. Look in verse six. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Because here's where we come down to it. To the man who stole the goggles and for anybody in here that does not know King Jesus, I would say this to you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The way that we walk is either wicked or it's righteous. And Psalm chapter one allows us to get ready so that we don't forget, that we remember then in the end, God wins and we can win with him and we can celebrate that victory right here and right now. Several years ago, to illustrate this, several years ago, my family, we went to Lancaster, Pennsylvania and we were going through Washington, D.C. on the way home. And so we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and uh, we, we decided to go to Gettysburg and then we decided to come home through Washington, D.C. Now there was a mistake. It was a huge mistake. At Friday afternoon, at 3.30 in the afternoon, you don't want to be in Washington, D.C. Okay, it's just not a smart move. Not a smart move at all to be in, in that place. And so here we are, we're, we're coming back and, and we're trying to figure out, okay, we'll take 695, 495, 9, I mean 995, I mean it's all kinds of 95s, get around D.C. and do you go straight through 95? I mean all this kind of ways to, to get around and to manage the city and I said, I think we're going to be okay because it's at 3.30 or 3.15. And, 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 and so here's where we are. We're, we're coming down. And, and if you don't know about the Washington traffic, there's two things that you really need to know when you're traveling. First of all, there are several belt lines, okay? And it's really confusing. And second of all, there's this beautiful thing called the diamond lane. And the diamond lane is when you have like three, three or more people in your car and you can get in that lane and you can get on that, that, that freeway that moves beautifully and gracefully. And there's lots of people very happy. But here's what happens. If you don't know about the diamond lane, then you're in the other lane where there's a lot of people. And you're going 16 miles in an two hours. We were sitting in that car, a van full of kids. Our in-laws are behind us and we're just looking, we're like, why are they going over there? How do we get on? We, we missed the entrance to the diamond lane. And so here we are sitting in all of this traffic and we can't move. And we're looking at each other and we're huffing and we're frustrate, frustrated and we're upset and we're a little angry because really, 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 that over there is a beautiful place to be. Right now is not a lot of happiness going on in the rice house and the rice car. The minivan was very stressed out. And, and it brought to my mind, it brought to my mind this Psalm chapter one. And also it says that there is wide is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life. And there is a narrow road that Jesus clearly defines. And it's not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitting in the seat of scoffers, but it is delighting yourself in the word of God and hunger, hungering for his word and overwhelmed by his presence, delighting yourself in him. And I'll tell you right now, the difference that the Lord gave me to see was the diamond lane and over here in DC and the other lane. And I'm gonna tell you, those people were much happier. Let me put it this way. 
they were way more blessed. To use a word for our study today. And why were they blessed? Work with me. Because they were on that road, and on that road is the presence of the holy God of the universe. The presence of God is not here. The blessings of God is not on this road. The blessings of God is on that road. And the word of God reveals it to us. The tree is what is a demonstration of it. And the, found, and the ending is very clear. It does not end well for those who do not call themselves a follower of God. But the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And he says, well done, good and faithful sermon. And I, I would say this as our big idea as we wrap up right now. Our big idea for today is this, is that the blessing of God has to do with where you walk and not what you can buy. The blessing of God has to do with where you walk and not what you can buy. Maybe you need a new car, you want a new house or need a new job, and certainly God can provide you all of those things. But one thing he will provide you with is presence and where you walk is dependent upon that reality. The Bible says very clear in a couple of texts of scripture that where we walk is really important. It says this, in Psalm 143.8 says this, teach me the way in which I should walk in the way I should walk for you, I lift my soul. In uh, Psalm 86.11 it says that we should walk in truth and in Ephesians 4, one through two says this, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And then in verse 16 of Galatians 5, it says we should walk by the Spirit. Because when we walk by the flesh, that's when we're going to stand with, we're going to walk with the wicked. We're going to stand with the sinners. We're going to sit among the scoffers. But when we live in the Spirit... We are going to rest in the blessed presence of God in our lives because of being involved in meditating and marinating and consistently living in and among the beauty of the word of God that is able to sharpen us to be who God has called us to be. And so my prayer for us this summer is just is twofold. You'd be encouraged by God that, that, that your love for God would 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 explode for him and that, that you would be overwhelmed, overwhelmed with a passion to worship him like never before. The book of Psalms, the, the Psalm chapter one, is very clear on how we should walk and what the blessing is. My prayer for you today, my prayer for you for the rest of the summer is that you and you alone would realize that your prosperity and your blessedness and how you define blessedness is largely indicative of how you are walking in the truth of who God is. If you don't know what that means, then I'm going to be outside and I would love to tell you about what that means. But if you do know what that means and you've forgotten it, I pray that you would remember it. And more importantly, I pray that this, when it's all said and done, that you would realize that King Jesus wins and you can win with him right now and you can win with him over there. My prayer is that you would do just that. Let's pray. God, I love you and I thank you for this great day. I thank you for this beautiful text that you've given us. I thank you for the message you've placed on my heart. I pray that, God, you would use it for your good and glory. 
I pray that we would understand that blessedness has nothing to do with what we have, but it has everything to do with who possesses us. It has everything to do with where we walk. And I pray that we would walk in the counsel of you, that God, you would be our strength, you would be our rock, and that we would meditate on your word day and night. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.